You're listening to Radio Looks Lucid. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 68. The title of this episode is Kyle Rittenhouse and His Line Critics. So, that'd uh, be an interesting subject to talk about. But before we get into that, you know, what I wanted to say, just wanted to welcome everybody is, uh, uh, to the live stream and to the podcast. It's great to have you here. You know, this is uh, getting into one of my favorite times of year. And uh, especially, you know, this week coming up, uh, it's going to be Thanksgiving uh, this coming Thursday. And that's, that's always been one of my favorite holidays of the year. I don't think there's any question about it. It's always... Uh, it's always really enjoyable. It, it's it's a fun time, but more than that, and, and really most importantly, it, it's a very Christian holiday. It's a it's a very Christian day. I mean, it has its origins as uh, as most people know it, with the uh, the Puritans and in in New England, and you know they were giving thanks to God for his uh, his providential care over them and, and helping them to get through some very difficult times. And it's uh, it's uh, almost one day where where everybody is is a Calvinist. <laughs> one day of the year when everybody's a Calvinist. Now, of course, there's another uh, benefit to that too, I, I suppose, and and that is that in recent years it, it's uh, tended to trigger some of the uh, the woke folks. And I have to admit, I kind of do take some guilty pleasure in watching them. You know, the, all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth when it comes to Thanksgiving. You know, one of one of the uh, the the big uh, wokesters out there, of course, is is Colin Kaepernick. Certainly, one of the most famous famous ones, the the former NFL quarterback. And he always does this thing where he and some buddies of his, I guess, they go out to some. It's actually out to Alcatraz Island in San Francisco, and they celebrate something called Unthanksgiving. And I guess they all get together and. I don't know. They talk about how miserable their lives are and how horrible the country is and, and, and all of this kind of thing. And I guess, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if Colin Kaepernick and his buddies think that's a great time and think that's a lot of fun and, and want to go do that, you know, I say more power to him. Go for it. But, you know, for me, I, I'd rather actually celebrate Thanksgiving. And, and I'm going to. And uh, I wish you all in advance a uh, a blessed Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great time uh, uh, with your families and have a great dinner. But, but most importantly, that you give thanks to God and that you remember the reason for that day. And, and we have so much to be thankful for, you know, in in this country. And and even now, I mean, with all of the, the horrible things going on, all of the the evil policies, that are being put forth um, from the uh, from the Biden regime, you know, there's still much to be thankful for, and God's providence is still with us. And if if you are called by the name of Jesus Christ, you have every reason to rejoice, uh, even in some of the some of the difficulties. And these are difficult times. You know, the, these are difficult times to go through. It's it's hard to watch the news. It's it's hard to to watch the things going on. It's upsetting to me. And you know, I'm someone that has has been interested in politics and political philosophy and and economics my whole life, and I see policies being put in place that, quite frankly, um, I think the most likely explanation is is the people that are putting them in place deliberately want to crash the country. That seems to be what's going on, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about about that uh, perhaps uh, as we go through the. Uh, this uh, this podcast, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. 
Apparently, though, too, we're also getting officially into the Christmas season. And I say that because the Christmas lights are starting to burst out all over the place. I saw some on my way home. I went out bike riding today and I saw some. And uh, our neighbor, too, is is getting ready uh, with uh, the Christmas lights. And our neighbor, next door neighbor here, has one of the bigger light displays that I've seen. And this year, I think they're going to add something really huge. Over the summer, I was out walking around the block, and I, I, I looked up, and I was a ways off. I saw this giant white thing. I, I didn't know what it was, and it was, it was in the evening, and and it was gl- this big giant white thing was glowing. And, and as I got closer, I realized what it was. It was a a the biggest inflatable I had ever seen. You know, these inflatable figures that people put in their yards for Christmas or, or other holidays, and this particular thing, it was the it was this huge Frosty the Snowman. And and I tell you this literally, it was two stories tight, two stories tall. It was the biggest, at least in my own experience, inflatable I've ever seen. The thing was crazy. And uh, I don't know, I didn't see it out there today, at least it didn't appear to be in prep. So I don't know, I'm going to keep an eye on this. If they put that thing up, I'm going to go get a picture and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about because you're not going to believe this. And this thing is just ridiculous. So anyway, yeah, it's it's always we can we can tell it's it's getting close to Christmas season just by by the Christmas lights. Well, anyway, um, I've got a few things I'm going to be talking, of course, about Kyle Rittenhouse and some of the the issues that were going on with his his trial. Of course, as you probably know or you may have heard, the uh, jury found him not guilty yesterday. Uh, this is being recorded on. Saturday, uh, November the 20th, it was on Friday, November 19th, uh, 2021, that he was found not guilty on, on all five, uh, all five counts. And, you know, there've been a lot of, uh, a lot of heads exploding. And so we're going to, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about that. But before we jump into that, I've got a few other stories. And there's also one clarification I wanted to offer. You know, last week I was talking some about the, uh, the COVID jabs. And I, I made the point, I said, well, you, you can get one or you cannot get one, and, and either choice is okay. And, and what I want to clarify is, is really what I was talking about and, and what I wanted to say, and I didn't say this very well, I didn't say it very clearly, is as Christians, I think it's important that, that we show grace to one another uh, in this matter. And, and here's why I bring this up, because I have people who I know uh, who, who are, are yeah, I have every reason to believe are Christian people. And you, so you say, well, how do you know they're Christian people? Well, I mean, they're people that, um, you know, and I'm using the Presbyterian standard here for, for judging whether someone's a Christian, and that is they have a credible testimony. I mean, these are people who are personally known to me. They are, are people who are of good character. I, I know they believe uh, the gospel, or at least they 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 can certainly give a, a very fine account of of the uh, of the gospel of justification by faith alone, and their lives testify it, testify of that as well. So I have every reason to believe they're Christians. Now, I for myself, in looking at at what the scriptures have to say, and in looking at the actions of the people who have promoted the the whole COVID narrative, and of course that includes all of the the lockdowns, the mask mandates, um, you know, the shutting down of of, of supposedly non essential businesses, and now also the vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, these types of things. When I look at this whole COVID narrative, I just see nothing but lies, and of course we're told you know, 
let each man speak the truth to his neighbor. You know, we're told, thou shalt not bear false witness. And yet I've seen just nothing but almost nonstop false witness out of the proponents of the COVID narrative, including those people who have promoted the vaccines. And I think there are major problems with that. And, and as a Christian, when I look at those things, I think, you know, the, the, this is all lies. This is not a good thing. You know, we know who the father of lies is. And it's it's deeply disturbing to see what's going on. And the, you know, based upon that, based upon the just out-and-out dishonesty that I have seen in the the narrative that has been created by public officials, by the news media, uh, by the uh, many people in the medical community, not all, but many, I, I don't want anything to do with the vaccine. You know, I do not trust them. You know, they have violated trust. They have done it multiple times. They have done it egregiously. And just based on that alone, you know, and I'm not even digging into the science here, but when I see somebody telling obvious lies, that is a, a giant red flag. And there are, there are other reasons as well why I believe as a Christian you should not get this. Now, that is the, the, the jab, the COVID jabs, any of them, any of them. Uh, one of the things, and uh, I had a friend you know, bring this up to me uh, in, uh, in a comment, <clears throat> you know, made the point, of course, you know, that the, the testing process of these vaccines, uh, the COVID vaccines, is done with, uh, with fetal cells. Yeah, and, and that is a big moral problem. I mean, if, if you believe, as, as I do, that, that abortion is murder, yeah, how is it that the that it's okay to to run scientific tests based on uh, fetal cells that were derived from an abortion? You know that uh, that that presents, I, I think, a an unsolvable, insuperable uh, moral problem uh, for Christians. So, I mean, that right there is is an, on its face. That's another reason not to be involved with this stuff. And you know, and I have to say that the way the the uh, the whole uh, medical community, from uh, Fauci on down, and again, I know this is not true of all doctors, and I, I don't want to put them all in the same group because there are, are people of, of different uh, different opinions. I mean, there are doctors, there are nurses that have refused to take the the COVID shot for various reasons, and and don't agree with the narrative. There are are scientists, highly qualified scientists, people, immunologists, and and such like that that have refused to to take part in this. Um, so I mean, I, I don't want to say this about about doctors just generally, but I, I think one thing has happened, and I do believe that the medical community has seriously damaged its own credibility in this entire uh, attempt to to force what is I think very clearly a, a false COVID narrative. Uh, on the American people, and not just the American people, but really worldwide. I mean, you see the same thing going on in Europe. You see the same thing going on in Australia. You know, I have a, a dear brother that I know in, in Australia and has been right at the, the epicenter of some of the worst COVID lockdowns in the world. And it's, it's horrible what has been done to the people of Australia. I, I, you know, I, I pray for them. I, I pray that the Lord would, in particular, preserve this brother and his family. Because it's 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 a terrible thing that they're having to undergo. I mean, things have been uh, not always so great you know, here where I am. But I have to say, you know, right now, at least as things stand at this moment here in Ohio, um, things are actually pretty normal. 
and really have been since since June. So we've had almost a a blessed early June. So I mean, it's almost been been six months now where things have been really uh, pretty normal. And and I, I pray that that continues. But of course, there are some challenges that that are out there on the on the horizon as well. And and we'll talk some about that. But the the whole reason that I brought up. I mean, kind of getting back to my main issue here, and, and that is talking about Christians and our attitude toward other Christians, you know, who maybe don't agree with us. Because I, I think very clearly that Christians ought to reject the uh, the COVID jabs, but that's not the case with everyone. There are, as I said, there are Christian people who, uh, for various reasons, I mean, they they have taken them and 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 they defend them, and uh, I think they are making a mistake uh, in doing so. But you know, I'm not. I'm not going to make that, and I don't think we ought to make that a test of fellowship. You know, I'm not going to uh, you know, say I'm not going to have anything to do with you because we disagree on this issue. Uh, but I think we can. You know, we can pray for them. You know, we can can talk about it. We can continue to educate ourselves. We can continue to uh, voice our our views. You know, those of us who uh, oppose the uh, the vaccinations, uh, who oppose the the jabs. But I think we need to treat one another with grace uh, as well, because you know this this is a very unusual circumstance that we're all dealing with. I mean, there's a lot of fear that's been intentionally whipped up by public officials, and there's been a lot of propaganda. There's been a lot of uh, fake news out there, and, and a lot of, and some people have been deceived. You know, but I I think to myself, you know. I've been deceived before about things. I think probably, if we're honest, you know, probably most of us would say we've been deceived about things. You know, one thing I, I have to say for my own self is, you know, I really haven't paid all that much attention to the whole vaccine thing until the uh, until the the deal with the, uh, the with, with COVID and and all the stuff that's gone on over the past year. I mean, I know that there have been people who have talked about this. Um, you know, for, for myself, it just, it hasn't really been uh, a main focus of, uh, of, of any of my reading or research, but, you know, maybe it should be because quite frankly, the, the stance of the medical community on, on this particular issue is deeply concerning. You know, maybe I've been deceived or at least at the very least, maybe I haven't paid close enough attention to something that, that I should have. And, you know, that's something that, uh, Lord willing, I, I hope I, I plan on paying closer attention to, to going forward. So, I mean, we can all be fooled or we can all just get busy with other things or we can all, you know, have our, you know, <laughs> there's an awful lot of stuff going on. There's an awful lot of problems in the world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to focus, you know, maybe not, uh, not focus on some of the things that we ought to for one reason or another. So what I just really want to say is I think as Christians, we need to show grace to other Christians if they disagree with us on this particular issue. So that's really all I have to say as far as, as that particular thing goes. Um, I did want to talk a little bit since we're talking about, about the whole COVID thing. I wanted to talk about a couple of uh, interesting developments this past week. There was a, uh, well, let's, uh, you know what I didn't do is I didn't get my didn't get my stuff ready here. Usually I have my, uh, get all my links and things like that ready. So let's do this. Um, yeah, let's see here. Bear with me just a moment. I apologize for not being prepared as I ought to. 
All right, there we go. Yeah, there. One of the big stories this past week, and this is uh, I pulled this one from the Hill, but you can find this in, in any number of newspapers. This is from Thursday, the seventeenth. But the headline is OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Uh, OSHA suspends enforcement of COVID nineteen vaccine mandate for businesses. So this is something that's of particular interest to me, as. You may well know if you, at least if you live in the United States, if you look, uh, I think it was about a couple months ago, you know, Joe, Joe Biden got up there and he unctuously lectured everyone, said, we're losing patience, you know, and we're going to have a mandate. And everybody who works for an employer with 100 or more employees, well, they're going to have, all those employees are going to have to get vaccinated or they're going to level all kinds of horrible fines on the businesses and, you know, that, that are the sort of, of dollar amounts that would probably bankrupt most businesses. Yeah, obviously that's the intention. And uh, this, of course, is something that hits home with me because, you know, I work for a business that has more than 100 employees. And so this is a very serious issue. I mean, it was originally supposed to take effect on January the 4th, but now OSHA has pushed that back. They suspended the enforcement of the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for businesses. And just read a little bit of this here. It says the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is suspending enforcement of the Biden administration's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for the large private businesses after a federal appeals court upheld a stay on it last week. OSHA said in a statement published on its website Friday night that while it is confident in its power to protect workers amid the pandemic, it's suspending activities related to the mandate, citing pending litigation. So it, it appears that we've got a little bit of a reprieve. If you read through the story here, it says earlier this month, the administration set January 4th as a deadline for qualifying private employers to start mandating the vaccine or require weekly testing. The rule was developed by OSHA. Okay. So, you know, this is something that puts millions of Americans directly in the crosshairs. You know, I know of several people personally known to me uh, who are facing this problem, uh, people who believe uh, along the same lines that I do. They don't want to be vaccinated. They have, sign they have significant objections to the vaccines. Uh, really, they're not technically even vaccines. I mean, call them jabs, call them shots, whatever. I guess we pro I probably shouldn't even be calling them vaccines, although I guess that's the, uh, uh, the common term for them. But they're really not. It's, it's experimental gene therapy is what it is. But the, you know, this has put millions of people in the crosshairs. And it, I mean, this is, this isn't a done deal yet. I mean, the Biden administration, Biden regime, they're going to challenge this stuff in court. And it's probably going to end up going to the Supreme Court. And I don't know how this is going to go. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that has been very uh, upsetting to me at times. And I, I'm sure it is to a lot of other people because, I mean, quite literally, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. I'm going to continue to have a job. Um, that may or may not be the case, uh, but at least it looks like I'll, I'll have a job through, um, at least past January the 4th. And, uh, you know, who knows, uh, when, uh, when the, uh, when or if uh, another date may be set, uh, it's certainly my prayer that that doesn't occur. So that's one thing that's going on. That's a bit of good news. I, I can, we're certainly happy we, uh, you know, that the, uh, the fifth circuit court of appeals, uh, ruled against the, uh, ruled against the vaccine mandate and called it fatally flawed and ordered OSHA not to enforce the requirement, pending adequate judicial review of a motion for a permanent injunction. So we can continue to pray as Christians that that happens. 
Uh, there's no question about it. I, I think that this is a disastrous rule. I think it is unchristian. I think it's unconstitutional. Uh, and the judge, uh, the judge that wrote the opinion of the Fifth Circuit Court agrees that it is unconstitutional. So uh, we'll keep a close eye on that particular story. And again, continue to pray uh, for, uh, for people who are going to be affected by this. And there's a good chance you probably know some because it, it, it's a very broad net. Another report I had, and this is a bit of uh, COVID good news, and I, I don't know, I'm not sure about this story here. It's being reported by some people, and I, I hope it's true, but I think it's at least something that's worth worth talking about here, is, this, here's a particular headline, it's from the activist post, the headline reads this, Austrian police army reportedly refusing to enforce health dictatorship or march and protest against it. And... Uh, Let's see, I have to remember my German here. Nie wieder Fascismus. I think that's uh, basically roughly translated no more fascism or no, fa- no fascism again, uh, something like that. So, you know, and, and this is being held up. It appears to be that it's being held up by uh, a banner being supported by, uh, they appear to be policemen. So, you know, if that's the case, that's actually very encouraging because Austria has done some really horrible things here. Uh, over the past week, they first of all, I, I guess it was about a week ago they instituted a lockdown for unvaccinated people only. So if you're vaccinated, you're all you know you you, you were cool. You could go about your business, but if you're unvaccinated, basically you are under house arrest. I think you're only allowed to go out for certain particular certain reasons, and it, it was it really was. I mean, it was it was an Orwellian type of an order. And then they came around a few days later and they said, well, you know what, we're going to lock everybody down. And I guess that's because lockdowns work so well. I mean, they've just done such a great job of containing COVID that we keep having wave after wave after wave of of COVID, supposedly. Um, then these things haven't worked. You know, as, as Alex Berenson, who I think has done some really outstanding reporting on that, says, you know, virus going to virus. You know, in, in all of these these measures that have done by government have done nothing uh, to relieve it, including the jabs. You know, in fact, uh, one of the things that's pretty fascinating is the fact that the nations uh, that have been most vaccinated are the ones where you have the most COVID. You know, Israel is uh, is one of the major cases in point. Great Britain is another. Uh, Gibraltar, you know, the, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call that a British, is it a colony, I guess? I don't know, you know, the, the Rock of Gibraltar. The, uh, apparently 100% of the population of Gibraltar has been vaccinated and all of the people that come from Spain to work on Gibraltar have also been vaccinated and they've got cases shooting through the roof. You know, and then of course you have to ask yourself the question, is the, is the jab actually taking, uh, causing this? And, and I think it could very well be. Uh, but I mean, this has been, this is, has been a, a consistent issue with the uh um with the numbers regarding covid the more vaxes the more covid so the uh you know and what's going on there in australia is is it, or austria excuse me is there appears to be some pushback not just from the people uh, but even also from if this report is true from the police uh, and also the army and if if that's the case that's going to spell very serious problems for the uh, for the government there and and for their their ability to uh, to continue to imprison people in their own homes, so let, let's hope that is true. It'll be interesting to watch and see what uh, additional reports may come out here. 
<laughs> I did get a question from uh, from Stu. Here he's asking me, he says, what's that mug? Um, I think he's talking about this mug here. This is actually a very cool mug. It's uh, one I picked up about a year ago. Uh, it was last summer in 2020. I went to uh, uh, the uh, visit uh, Fort Necessity in uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. And the Fort Necessity, it, it's, uh, it was a fort that was built uh, as part of the Battle of Great Meadows, which was the opening battle of the French-Indian War. And it, it's there's an interesting family connection there to that. The... Uh, they, uh, it, it was a, uh, it was a battle between it was, it was British forces and they were fighting a, uh, a combined, uh, French, uh, French Indian force. They were badly outnumbered. There was about, about 400 British troops or so. And I think around 800 or so, uh, French and Indians, uh, who were, were fighting and in command of the, the British forces there. And it wasn't just the British. There was also a, uh, a, a group of uh, Virginia militia that had come up to help out. And so there was a, the the, uh, the British regular troops, and then there were the uh, Virginia militia. And in command of this this group was a uh, a rookie, uh, right behind the ears kid kid of a colonel by the name of George Washington. It was his very first command, and part of that uh, that particular group that uh, the uh, the Virginians who, who came up there were a couple of brothers. There was uh, William and Henry Bailey. And long story short, William Bailey is my, I think I believe he would be my seven times uh, great-grandfather. Uh, he was killed in that battle. And in fact, when you go there, when there's a visitor center there, there's a plaque of the, uh, the men who, were, who died defending Fort Necessity. And, and his name is on there, uh, William Bailey. Uh, but he was survived by the, uh, he was survived by a son. He had at least one son, uh, Josephus Bailey. And it's kind of interesting, about 20 years later, Josephus Bailey also fought under George Washington, although this time it was General George Washington of the Continental Army during the American Revolution. And Josephus also died. Uh, I don't think he was probably in battle. He died, it was in February of 1777. We have the uh, the records of that, and there probably wasn't on, the, the, the army probably wasn't on campaign in February. There's probably a good chance he may have died from, you know, who knows, probably some disease or maybe exposure to cold or some combination thereof. I, I'm just speculating, but I would think that's probably more likely than than being killed in a in a battle, uh, given it was it was in February. But he was survived by a daughter uh, by the name of Marianne Bailey. And Marianne Bailey married John Matthews. And so John and Marianne Matthews, those are my five times great grandparents. And uh, so anyway, they kind of traced the family history back to the, uh, the Battle of the Great Meadows. And so, Stu, that's, that's what that mug is. So it's, it's uh, actually, it's, it's really, uh, it, it's interesting to see somehow, sometimes when your, your family history sort of intersects with, uh, with maybe something uh, a little bigger in terms of the uh, the history of the country. So uh, so anyway, uh, I bought that, and it's a it's actually a really nice mug, and it's big, and I like that. <laughs> and right now I have some uh, some uh, heated apple cider, some stuff that I make in, in the the, the Keurig, Keurig machines. Uh, it's really good too, and it's uh, I always make a I always make a cup of this when I go and do a podcast. It's my favorite. So. Uh, Anyway, that's what that mug is. 
So let's see, what was I going to talk about next? Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, Antichrist and immigration. There was uh, an interesting piece this last week, and it was written by, let's get that up here. It's called Church Militants, Not Church Milk Toast. It was written by Michelle Malkin. Now, she's a pretty well-known conservative columnist. And uh, the thing that's interesting uh, about her well, is, or at least one thing, is, is that she's a, she's a Roman Catholic. But she's also been a very sharp critic of the Roman Catholic Church, and in particular, their, uh, the way they push for mass, uh, mass migration, mass immigration, mass illegal, uh, illegal immigration. And it just goes to show you, I mean, they, you, know, you can have people who are Roman Catholics and actually do understand uh, just how corrupt, at least in certain respects, uh, the Roman Catholic Church can be. And uh, I'll just read a little bit of this here. She says, I believe the same is true for the Catholic Church's deplorable racketeering for mass, uncontrolled immigration, and shilling for big farmers' toxic and sinful enterprise. Since 1986, when open borders lobbyists were hammering out the disastrous Reagan amnesty on Capitol Hill, Catholic leaders in the U.S. and abroad have moved from fighting against legislation that enhances American immigration enforcement to actively undermining enforcement and violating immigration laws. Disgraceful leftist Cardinal Roger Mahoney, censured and banned for his role in covering up sexual abuse, was booted from his post in Los Angeles, yet continues to this day to advocate that Catholic clergy and other Americans brazenly defy deportation orders and harbor so-called dreamers in the name of charity and compassion. These polities of rich cartels, traffickers, traffickers, smugglers, coyotes, and the vast network of left-wing nonprofits, while inducing the port of trapes across the desert, stuff themselves in the cars, in car trunks, and cash in on their own children. Is there any more obscene illustration of the need to drain the Catholic deep state and defund the creep state? And uh, she goes on and talks about some uh, sites and other bishops specifically for some of the uh, the things they do. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'm going to put a link to this this uh, on on the website. Uh, so I, I do appreciate the fact that she's actually very upfront uh, and very sharp in her criticism, very pointed in her criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church, of the Roman Church state, and the uh, the way it undermines uh, our country. Uh, the United States of America. I mean, this is something that uh, that it does, and 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 it does regularly. And 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 it's what's what's amazing to me is how 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 few people actually point that out. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight Michelle Malkin's comments. Now, Michelle Malkin is still a Roman Catholic, you know, and so she doesn't come out, and I, I don't think she doesn't realize what Rome is. You know, she doesn't realize that 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 you're dealing with Antichrist. You know, the Roman Catholic Church—that is Satan's masterpiece, and it's to be expected that they would be hostile to uh, to things that are right and true and just. Yes, I would expect them to do that. And of course, one of the things they try to do is continually try to undermine sovereign nations. You know, the sovereignty of the United States of America and other nations. And one of the ways they do this, one of the biggest, uh, one of the the, the biggest weapons. Uh, in their arsenal is mass migration, and they constantly uh, promote this. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and be, you know, on, on the one hand, Michelle Malkin's critique of the Roman Catholic Church doesn't go far enough. But on the other hand, I do appreciate it, 
And, and you know, the, the Lord can use things like that. You know, the Lord can use those types of things to, uh, to bring people out of Rome. You know, there are, uh, let's see, I'm going to put a stop to that here. There we go. You know, there, there's a, a fellow that I follow. His name's Greg Hunter. I follow his work for years. He's a, well, <laughs> I was going to say he was a YouTuber. He's actually a former YouTuber. He got booted off of YouTube. He's got his own own website now. It's called uh, USA Watchdog. And uh, he was a, was a Roman Catholic. And I've, I've heard him talk about uh, being a, a Roman Catholic. Uh, but he's not anymore. I, I don't know what kind of a church he goes to, but but he's he is some I think probably sort of broadly evangelical type of a church. Uh, but he left Rome, and I never knew why until fairly recently. I don't know within the last six months or so. He was talking on one of his videos about why he left Rome, and it had to do with Rome's treatment of uh, all of the the pedophilia, all the child abuse, and not just the child abuse itself, but I guess the fact that that they didn't address it when it when it became apparent that that was an issue you know they they covered it up and and he left and and that that was one of the things that um that, that drove him out of Rome and I mean the lord uses things like that you know whether it's it's the egregious uh pedophilia that goes on um or the the oppressive uh, uh politics and economics that Rome advocates you know i was having a conversation one time with a, a roman catholic friend of mine and i was telling him how rome attacks Private property, and we. I, I, I talked to him about. It. He says, "Well, I don't believe those things." You know, and and I'm sure he doesn't. You know, there are a lot of Roman Catholics that are very Americanized, and and when I say Americanized, what I really am, am saying, I suppose, is they're a lot more Protestant in their thinking, probably than what they realize. You know, because they see um, limited government, they see capitalism work, they see these things, and they they realize, you know, yeah, these are good things. But what they don't understand in many cases is that their own church is fighting against those things. Now, it's it's not just a matter of going out and saying, well, you know, we have all these corrupt priests and bishops and nuns and cardinals and, and popes and all these other people who keep, you know, promoting all this mass migration. And what we need to do is we need to replace them all and bring in, you know, uh, get rid of all the corrupt priests and bishops and monsignors and nuns and monks and and all these other people, get rid of all of them and bring in, bring in, you know, honest people that, that will do, do honest work. Well, no, I mean, that's, that's, you, you cannot reform the Roman Catholic Church. It's irreformable. It is, uh, incorrigible. That is, it cannot be corrected. You know, Martin Luther and some of the early reformers, you know, they set out not to create a, a new church. They wanted to reform the Roman Catholic Church and they realized they couldn't do it. Um, there was a guy, um, he was an uh, on-and-off sparring partner of Martin Luther, um, a very prominent scholar in, uh, in Luther's day, a very brilliant fellow. His name was Desiderius Erasmus. Uh, he was Dutch. And Erasmus, like I say, he, he was, a, was a brilliant guy. Um, one thing that he did, you know, and, and if you, you uh, are someone who loves the, the received text, you know, loves the, the King James Bible, um, he he helped actually bring that about, believe it or not, because he was the one who published the first edition of the received text. The received text, that's what's sometimes, that is the name that's given to the Greek text that underlies the, um, the King James translation of the New Testament. And this now is not the time to get into this. There, there is an interview that I did with a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Wilbur Pickering. 
back in June. Uh, he is an expert on the Greek New Testament. It's on the Trinity Foundation YouTube channel. If you'd like, go check that out because he talks about um, some of the issues with the Greek text in the New Testament and how it's been corrupted by uh, unbelieving modern scholarship. Well, I'll just put that aside. But Erasmus, yeah, he helped put together a uh, at least the first edition of a, a sound Greek text. Um, so some of his work survives today in the in in the King James translation. But but uh, the reason I bring up Erasmus is because he had that same problem that you see show up maybe in 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 Michelle Malkin and in some other people, and that is they have this idea, and, and, and what they do is they look at Rome and say, yeah, you know, Rome is is corrupt. And, and there are serious problems. There are serious moral problems. What we need to do is we need to get out, get rid of all the corrupt people, and we need to bring in people who are, are righteous and will restore, you know, righteousness to the church and, and this type of thing. But what they don't understand is, is that the whole system is corrupt and you can't fix it. What you have to do is to leave. You know, and, and if, if, you know, and, and this is something, you know, and when I talk about Rome, when I, when I when I discuss Roman Catholicism, I don't say these things because oh I I hate Roman Catholics and I want to see terrible things happen to them. No, far from it. Um, I want them to know the gospel of justification by faith alone. That you don't you don't need all of that uh, all those accoutrements uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. You know whether it's it's masses and indulgences and uh, and purgatory and confession and, and all of this stuff. You know, Jesus said it is finished. He fully paid for the sins of his people on the cross. And his resurrection shows that God accepted that sacrifice. And we put our faith in him. The righteousness that he earned, that Jesus earned by fully keeping the law, he never sinned. That righteousness that he earned, God attributes to us. He credits it. He reckons it to us. He imputes it to us. You know, those are some different uh, terms that people use. You know, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, you know, wrote the Apostle Paul. Yeah, and it's it's through faith in Christ alone, through belief in the gospel, the good news of what Christ did to save his people. That is how we're saved. And that's how anybody has is saved. You know, there's no 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 alternate. That's the only way. And you know, and, and that's what I, I want Roman Catholics to know. And that's one of the reasons why I always loved uh, Berean Beacon Ministries and and loved uh, the the work of uh, of Richard Bennett. And of course, he was a a longtime uh, Roman Catholic priest over twenty years, and and he left Rome and he spent goodness the last thirty plus years of his life uh, evangelizing. He had a real heart for the Roman Catholic people. He wanted to see them come to faith in Christ. And he didn't stand up and say, "Oh, look at all you you terrible people, and look how righteous I am because I have faith in Christ." And you know, you're still you know, you know, bowing before a, a cracker on the altar or something like this. No, he, he didn't say that. I mean, he, he, he loved the Roman Catholic people. He wanted them to see them come to know the truth, to come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And, you know, perhaps the Lord will use uh, some things like all of this, uh, this obvious corruption and lies and deceit that goes on with Rome, and maybe he'll use that to, to uh, uh, draw Michelle Malkin out of that church. You know, who knows? Yeah, we can certainly pray for her, and uh, that the Lord would show her the way, and and He certainly can. Many, many people come out of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I've known, I, I couldn't begin to tell you all the people I know who known the, known who have left Rome 
uh, and been saved. And they're some of the finest Christian people that I know. Uh, and uh, so it does happen. You know, our God is a gracious God, and he can save. Uh, he can save anyone uh, if, if he so chooses. He's sovereign in that. Um, so anyway, that was one, one article that I had on that. There's uh, another article, and this is actually kind of interesting. The, the remarks that Michelle Malkin made were actually um, the result of, let me go ahead and get this back, do another screen share here. Yeah, let's see. Here we go. Yes. Okay. So this is a screenshot from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website. The remarks that Michelle Malk had made were actually made. Uh, I believe she was in Baltimore. I think is the way that that particular article I read. Uh, I think it did have a little blurb, but they were saying that she made those remarks in Baltimore. At uh, that, that's where the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops they had their big annual meeting. Um. I guess they call it the, the the Fall General Assembly in Baltimore is what they called it, and they held they hold elections and they they I guess different people get assigned to different um, different committees and such like. One that jumped out to me here is this gentleman named Bishop Mark Seitz of El Paso, and he was elected uh, chairman of the Committee on Migration. So the Committee on Migration, you know, that's one of the committees of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. That's one of the committees that pushes uh, pushes for mass, uh, basically mass illegal immigration in the United States of America. They do everything possible to make that happen. Now, if you know a little bit about, about El Paso, El Paso is right on the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, on the other, it's, it's right there on the Rio Grande. Uh, on the other side, uh, just south of the Rio Grande from El Paso, is Juarez, which is a pretty large city. I went down and had the opportunity to visit some friends in El Paso a few years ago. I'd never been to that part of the country before. It was, it was really a, a wonderful experience to go down and to see them. And, and I had an opportunity to go over and, and see some of Juarez, too. Um, but it's a big city. I understand it's about 2 million people. And... Um, so that, that between Juarez and El Paso, it's a substantial, um, population area. But this, uh, Mark Seitz, he was a guy who, um, I did, uh, I can't even remember now. Uh, I think it was something that, yeah, it was, it was a blog piece that I put up, uh, a few weeks ago because they had in El Paso, the, uh, I guess a lot of the bishops of some of a number of the dioceses in that area, they were getting together and they were going to have this big um, mass for all the people who had died on the border. You know, and, and of course, you know, who, you know, whose fault was that? Well, I guess it was big, bad Donald Trump's, but uh, you know, the, they even blamed uh, Joe Biden because I guess Joe Biden wasn't destroying the, the United States fast enough for their taste. And, and of course, uh, the American people—it's—it's uh, it's their fault too because they're very bad people. Um, when really, what it is—and—and and, uh, Michelle Malkin pointed this out in her piece—is that they encourage these people to do this stuff. They—they they encourage people to violate American immigration law, knowing full well—and Mark Seitz is one of the people who does this—knowing full well that these people, that some of them, are going to die in the desert. Where some of them are going to die trying to go through what's it called the Darien Gap down there in uh, in Central America, uh, which is a really wild area, and people coming up from 
Uh, I think South America, that have to go through this. I think it's in Panama or, or somewhere around there. And it's a very remote area. There's no roads. There's no nothing there at all except for jungle. Many, many people die there. And these people die because they're being encouraged by people like Mark Seitz uh, and Joe Biden, uh, a Roman Catholic president. And I call him Jesuit Joe sometimes, not because he's a Jesuit, but he seems to be under the thrall of the Jesuits, whether it's his, his church where he goes, he goes to a Jesuit-run church, uh, or whether it's the Pope, um, who I guess really kind of patted him on the head and told him he was a good Catholic boy when, when he was over there in, in Rome a few weeks ago. But uh, this Mark Seitz, this is a, a piece that he wrote uh, a couple months back here, and it's uh, Bishop Seitz's statement on the mistreatment of Haitian, Haitian asylees. And he goes on here, and, and he whines about how the, the Border Patrol was, was whipping people um, uh, and, and doing horrible things to them. You, you may recall that you know, when all those Haitians were, were crashing the border back in, in September, that they sent in the, uh, oh, I guess it was a mounted patrol, uh, of, of, the, of the border patrol to, to keep people from from coming into the country, and there are all these reports. Oh, they were down there. They were they were whipping the the Haitians, and and even the the photographer that took this photo that supposedly showed the uh, the border patrol whipping Haitians. He said they they weren't doing that. Uh, the re- the uh, the photographer himself denied it, but this uh, this bishop cites, of course, he seizes on this in his his particular piece, and uh, you know and he uses this to denigrate to slander. Uh, the Border Patrol, uh, who were doing their job, the proper job, uh, of, uh, of enforcing American immigration law. Uh, but he wants to slander them. So this guy now, he's, he's the head of the, uh, the Migration Committee uh, of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. So we're going to keep an eye on that and uh, see what other kinds of, uh, of pronouncements he comes, with, uh, comes up with. I don't know how long the term is. Maybe it's just for a year. I, I don't know. But uh, I'm, certain, uh, I'm sure there'll be, uh, be news coming from, uh, uh, from bishop sites here. Uh, over at least over the next uh, year. So as I said, I'll I'll keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll uh, I'll report back when uh, when something uh, when as things develop. Let's put it that way. Um, okay, so enough of that. And uh, what I wanted to do uh, at this point, maybe coming to my main topic here, I wanted to talk some about Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, I really haven't written or talked about Kyle Rittenhouse. Probably should have. Uh, more than what I have, it, it just it seems like there's been so many other things going on. Uh, I haven't gotten around to commenting on it a whole lot, but of course, if you're not familiar with that case, you know that was the case where last year in Kenosha, Wisconsin, they had uh, one of these great big riots. It wasn't a mostly peaceful protest; it was a flat-out riot. Uh, there was an enormous amount of damage done uh, to Kenosha, and you know, buildings being set on fire, this kind of thing. And Kyle Rittenhouse went to Kenosha, and he, in his time there, he was he was 17 years old, and he shot uh, three men, uh, killed two of them, and there was a great uproar. And I remember when I, I heard about that at first, I really wasn't sure what was going on. I thought it was 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 kind of an odd thing. And I remember looking and uh, and, and the men he shot, they were they were the rioters. I think they were I think they were Antifa. I don't think they were Black Lives Matter. I think they were all Antifa guys. Um, Antifa is a very satanic group. Well, Black Lives Matter is a satanic group as well. Antifa is very satanic. I mean, you can tell that just when you you see the kinds of activities they do. They burn and destroy, and they do it under the cover of darkness. 
Um, and uh, they are remarkably evil people. Uh, and they have been basically given the run of the country, uh, certainly in 2020. Um, you know, nothing has, very little has been done to them. Um, I guess maybe some of them have been busted for some things, but uh, for the most part, they've been able to do what they do, and there's been very little uh, in the way of legal consequence uh, for their their very obviously um, dangerous and destructive activities. And so well, I remember when this all took place, and of course it was in late August of, of 2020, I wasn't sure what to think of it. And I, I sat down, I, I found a video, and it was a, a, a video, uh, what a way, it had been put together by one of the major news outlets. I think it may have even been the New York Times, uh, for all I know. But it was a, uh, it, it was a video, it was an analysis of the, the uh, video, the, the, the phone camera footage that had been taken up there. It was really quite good. And the thing that I was amazed at as I looked at that particular video and, and a few others that I saw was that this guy, um, not only was, was he not guilty of, of, of murdering people, uh, but he was, he was actually downright righteous in his behavior. I was stunned by um, the, the poise that he showed and his really, I, I think he made a very honest attempt um, to avoid conflict. Um, but when he was cornered, he fought back and he fought back with courage and a cool head for somebody with, with uh, someone he would expect to be much older than what he was. Uh, he was only 17 at the time. Um, and I was, I was amazed at it. I mean, there was, there was, uh, there was a film of him. He was scrubbing graffiti off. I, I think it was a school. Um, you know, he went to Kenosha to, to help people, to guard businesses, to, to prevent evil doing the kinds of evil doing that the official should have been doing. You know, the mayor of Kenosha, the governor of Wisconsin, the kinds of things these men were charged to do. I mean, that, they are charged by the U.S. Constitution and by God himself to punish those who practice evil. And then not only were they not punishing those who practice evil, they were encouraging them encouraging them, uh, if, if not necessarily directly, indirectly by just standing down, by having their police stand down. Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody is, is guilty of, uh, of, of anything, it's, it's these public officials who refuse to do their job. And it's been really fascinating here over the last day to day or so to see the the reaction of uh, of the liberal news media well not just the liberals but also just the news media generally um here's a a quote uh, this is this is one is actually from uh, from Alex Berenson now Alex Berenson is a fellow you you may have if you've seen some of my my blog writing in that he's one of my major sources on covid uh, i think he's done some of the absolute best reporting on on the the big covid scam demic and if if you want to go follow somebody uh, follow somebody's work. Follow Alex Berenson's Substack account. Uh, sometimes he can use some language that's a little <laughs> not G-rated. Let's say that, but generally he doesn't. And and some of the information he presents is well, the information he presents generally is really quite good, and it, it's really devastating to uh, to all the uh, the lockdown fascists, you know, people like Anthony Fauci and whatnot. So yeah, definitely. Uh, if you're not familiar with Alex Berenson's work, 
um, I, I would encourage you to check out his, uh, his Substack account. Uh, he's even been on uh, Tucker Carlson's. If you've ever watched Tucker Carlson, you, you may have seen uh, Alex Berenson on there. But he, here's what he, he here was, was Alex Berenson's take. And he said this, in case you hadn't heard, I think this is as important as yet more evidence that much of the media simply cannot be trusted to offer honest reporting on any politically volatile story, including everything COVID-related, COVID lab leaks, COVID lockdowns, and of course, COVID vaccines. So you know, he's talking here. About uh, about the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, and you know if you have followed any of this on the news over the past year, you know oh Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, he's a white supremacist. Oh Kyle Rittenhouse, you know he crossed state lines. You know, oh he had an illegal gun. You know he's a, a notorious state line crosser, as if somehow I, I'm not sure how that's supposed to be a a, a bad thing. Yes, you know, the United States of America, you're allowed to cross state lines. You really are. Um, but anyway, there are some people that get very worked up about that. But yeah, they're, they're, the, the news media has portrayed Kyle Rittenhouse as this horrible person. And when you look at, as I said, what he did, and I saw this a year ago, I was absolutely stunned by, by the poise that he showed and, and really by the civic righteousness that he showed. I mean, his, his maturity was way beyond his years. Uh, it was very impressive the, what what he did. He went to Kenosha to do good. He didn't go there to burn and destroy. You know, a lot of what about all these? You know, all these Antifa BLM types. You know, most of those people are out of, from out of town. I believe they cross state lines. Nobody seems terribly worried about that. I guess it's okay if you cross state lines if you're there to burn and destroy. But if you're there to protect lives and property, well, somehow then all of a sudden crossing state lines is a really bad thing, and you get in a lot of trouble. I mean, at least if you're, I guess, an MSNBC reporter, you think that's bad. Here's another take on uh, on uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. This is an interesting one. Um, this came from Bill Ackman. Now, that may be a name you're not familiar with unless you follow investing closely. Bill Ackman is a, uh, a hedge fund uh, guy that runs a hedge fund. He's a billionaire, very well known in the, the financial area. And uh, I'm not going to read through all of this, but just you can even look at the headline here. It says, Bill Ackman, Kyle Rittenhouse is telling the truth and acted in self-defense in a viral Twitter thread. Now, this is not the sort of thing Bill Ackman would normally comment on. Um, so that, that's certainly got people's attention. Um, and uh, let's see if I can find this here, because this is, this is really, I, I thought, very interesting what he said. Um, Okay, yeah, here here we go. So this is a tweet that he put out on November 11th. I'm just going to quote this here. Quote, uh, this is Bill Ackman. He says, Our first-hand impressions of Kyle were materially different from those we had previously formed based on media reports and opinion pieces we had consumed. I've always been frustrated to read an inaccurate press report about a subject I know well, yet somehow I continue to believe other articles in the same newspaper about subjects I know less well. Media and political bias are dividing our country and destroying lives. While we have not heard the entire trial, based on our assessment Kyle of Kyle on the stand, we believe that he will be found innocent. And, and of course, Bill Ackman was right. Um, Kyle uh, Rittenhouse was found innocent. 
And you know, he, he even comments additionally here. He says, last night, Neary and I watched several hours of Kyle Rittenhouse direct testimony and cross-examination. We came away believing that Kyle is telling the truth, and he acted in self-defense. We found him to be a civic-minded patriot with a history of helping. I just zap myself here. Uh, with a history of helping his community as an EMT and fireman in training in his removing hate graffiti earlier that day from a local school and ultimately in volunteering to protect a business during the night of the of August 25th in Kenosha. And again, this is from Bill Ackman, and I don't know what Bill Ackman's political background is, but you know, th- this is a man that, that, again, you know, he's not somebody that's given to comment on these sorts of things. Um, but he gave a, a very frank and very honest, uh, and I think very, very accurate assessment of the situation. And, you know, but he, apparently, you know, he had this idea about, uh, one idea about Kyle Rittenhouse just based on all these media reports. And then he sat down and actually looked at it for himself and he said, hey, this stuff isn't right. You know, the, the reports that I've been getting uh, have been inaccurate. You can't trust the mainstream media. And yes, he's right. You cannot trust them. You can't trust them. And that's sad, but that's the state of our, that's the state of our country right now. You cannot believe these people. One of the other things I noticed here uh, in, in watching some of the reactions is just the incredible amount of hate that has been... Uh, generated from from people on uh, f- from liberals uh, and there, there are a number of tweets i just was kind of going through different uh, uh twitter feeds of, of well-known liberals and uh you know here, here's one i'll share with you I, i'm not going to share all these we're getting close to an hour here so i kind of well i guess we're gonna have to start wrapping things up here but but this is a guy named keith boykin and keith boykin let's see um Anyway, he's a well-known guy. He's got a blue check here. (laughs) So this is what he said. He says, I knew it. Kyle Rittenhouse is proof that white people can still break the law, carry illegal weapons, shoot and kill people, and get away with it in America by shedding tears and claiming self-defense. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, he didn't break the law. He was found innocent. He was found not guilty uh, by a jury of his peers. He did not carry an illegal weapon. Uh, he did shoot and kill a few people, uh, but it was in self-defense. And it's not just merely a claim of self-defense. It actually was self-defense. And, and here's the thing that, that I find interesting about you know, people like Keith Boykin. What he apparently doesn't seem to understand is that Kyle Rittenhouse has no more rights than he does. Keith Boykin has all the constitutional, the same constitutional rights that Kyle Rittenhouse does. He has a right to keep and bear arms. He has a right to defend himself when attacked and using deadly force if necessary. He has a right to these things. And yeah, but, but he wants to act as though somehow Kyle Rittenhouse has some tremendous privilege that, that he himself doesn't have. And, and that's, simply, that, 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 that's simply false. You know, and, and if he believes that, then if he truly believes that, then, then he's got, you know, he, he's, he's, he's greatly mistaken. Yeah, and then here's another guy. This is uh, from Gavin Newsom. Oh, let's see what old Gavin has to say. He says, America today, you can break the law, carry around weapons built for a military, shoot and kill people and get away with it. That's the message we've just sent to armed vigilantes across the nation. No, no, Governor Newsom, that's not the message. The message is that 
you're actually allowed to keep and bear arms and use them to defend your own life if needed. It's called self-defense. You know, and you know, that is a, a, a doctrine, uh, that is a, a, uh, a point of American law has recognized. Uh, that is a, a point that I believe is grounded. It is. It's grounded in the scriptures. It is a Christian concept. It is a constitutional concept, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Gavin Newsom, I think I, I, I liked him better when he was hiding from the public, I guess, because of, I guess, a bad reaction to his COVID shot. And I don't know. I thought maybe he might hope maybe he would learn something, but, uh, obviously he hasn't learned anything and he's going to come out and, uh, and talk trash about, uh, something and, and spread misinformation around about Kyle Rittenhouse and slander him. And, and that's unfortunate. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom is, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> that's another subject. That's a subject for another day. So we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the liberal, liberal Twitter, in fact, liberals in general, their, their heads exploding all over the country. And so, yeah, that I, I'm glad, you know, I, I prayed for Kyle Rittenhouse and I'm going to continue to pray for him because he's going to have a, a tough battle going forward. Some people have brought up the possibility that he may, uh, you know, that he may be facing federal prosecution. I don't know. That could happen. I mean, after all, the jury didn't get the quote right verdict. So I certainly, I have no doubt that if the Biden administration can get away with it, that they may try to do something. Now, there's an opinion, and this was actually a legal analyst on MSNBC. He he kind of poo-pooed that whole idea, and I hope he's right. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, just because something is a low percentage play, it doesn't mean they might not try to do it. So we'll see. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Kyle Rittenhouse is a Christian or not. But, you know, I, I do know this. I, I, th- I think there's no question, you know, based upon if, if you look at the testimony in the trial, if you look at his actions, what, what the, the videos actually tell us, you know, that, that he was a civic-minded patriot, as, as Bill Ackman said. And, and, you know, he stood up for what was right. And it's, I am I'm very happy that, uh, that he was acquitted, that he was found not guilty. Uh, on the on the five uh, five charges that he was facing, because he could have gone to jail for life for those, and uh, you know that has been a uh, very difficult last year, and you could tell that from his reaction, and, and, and that, that would be difficult for any of us, you know, and, and I can't imagine facing that at uh, at such a young age as well, uh, but he did, and uh, so let's uh, let us hope that uh, and pray that uh, that there be better things ahead uh, for uh, for Mister Rittenhouse. Well, that's all that I have for this week. I want to say thanks so much for uh, for joining me for that. Thanks to all those who are watching on the live stream I, uh, and uh, for those who are listening to the podcast as well. Thanks so much for joining me. I, I hope you got something out of this. That uh, certainly is my prayer every week when I, uh, I uh, prepare these. And until next time, and I hope maybe we might this, this next week, uh, I'm, I'm going to make an effort. I, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm going to, I'm going to, and now, now I'm going to have to do it if I say this. <laughs> but maybe I, I, I'd like to do a Thanksgiving special. Maybe, uh, Lord willing, I can, can get that in on, uh, on Wednesday. So, uh, so we'll see. That, that's kind of my plan here at this point. So anyway, whether it's, it's on Wednesday or whether it's next weekend, I talk to you next. Uh, until that time, uh, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word.